Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, and God's grace and peace be with you. So glad to be with you all, whether you're here in the pews or worshiping with us at home or wherever you might be. We come to one of my favorite passages in the New Testament, which really doesn't narrow it down a whole lot, I don't think. I feel like every time I teach a study, like, this is one of my favorites. But this one really is one of my favorites, I promise, right? <laughs> We're reading from the book of Hebrews, um, a great beloved passage, I think, from Hebrews, um, especially the beginning of chapter 12. And from the beginning of chapter 11, all the way through what we just read, the book has been telling us about one particular theme. I don't know if you picked up on it, but it's faith. Yes, I heard at least one person, so good job. <laughs> there we go. Chapter 11 begins by defining what faith is. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And Father Mack preached a brilliant sermon last week on what faith is, showing us that it is firm and strong and grounded. So if you weren't here last week, please find his sermon on YouTube and give it a listen, because um, it really was fantastic. But after this definition of faith here in chapter 11, it then goes on to give us a litany of faithful people from the Old Testament, many of whom you've probably heard of, like Noah, Abraham, Moses, but even someone like Rahab, not a Jewish woman, but a Canaanite prostitute who helped the Hebrew people conquer the city of Jericho. It also includes some of the judges, the prophets, and the kings of Israel, and even includes the whole people of Israel together. Now, if you've ever read any of the Old Testament, you've probably picked up on the fact that none of these people are perfect. In fact, some of them are quite a mess. They're flawed, screwed up people. I can relate to them, right? You're flawed, screwed up people. I'm flawed, screwed up people. I know these folks, and yet they had deep faith. These men and women, as perfect as they were, they persevered when they faced significant challenges, oppositions, and sufferings. And if you've got it open, I mean, just take a gander at what was actually read in the text, right? They stopped the mouths of lions. They faced the power of fire, the edge of the sword. Some were tortured. Others were mocked and flogged and even received chains and imprisonments. Others were stoned or sawed in two, killed with the sword and others went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. Not exactly the live happily ever after type scene for many of these folks. But ultimately, as flawed as they were, they remained faithful, and ultimately they did what God called them to do. Well, how did they do it? Well, it says over and over in that chapter, they did it by faith. That was more than one that time. We're getting better. <laughs> Yeah, they believed in God, and they believed what God says, as Mac defined it last week. By faith, Noah builds an ark. By faith, Abraham leaves the land of his fathers to go to a place he doesn't know. By faith, Moses leads the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt into the promised land, even though Moses never wanted to do this. By faith, Rahab saves herself and her whole family. 
And by faith, they were able to see past their current circumstances and struggles to press on to do God's will and to look ahead to the coming promise, that is, Jesus. It's all about faith, faith in God. And it's emphasized over and over and over and over. It's like the author is like beating the same hammer over again. And why would he have to do that? Well, my guess is if you have children, you get it, right? You don't tell your kids to clean their room over and over and over again if the room's clean. Their rooms aren't clean, so we say this over and over and over again in our house, right? Kimberly doesn't tell me clean the kitchen over and over and over again because I've done it. It's because I haven't, right? The people here, they need to be reminded about faith and read these examples of faith because they're struggling with their faith. They're not getting it right. They're starting to lose their faith and turn back to their previous religions and just to give up. They'd been through really, really difficult times. Some of them had faced persecution. Their church was dealing with internal strife. They were exhausted and frustrated on the verge of just giving up their faith, giving up on Jesus and going back to what they had been. And boy, haven't we all been there before. Whether it's with faith or something more mundane, the temptation to quit is ever before us, isn't it? Right? Remember when you were a student and you get a hard test? I'd rather just quit. Ballerinas with blistered feet want to just quit. Athletes with muscles on fire want to quit. We've all wanted to quit. I wanted to quit for like 10 years when I was working on my dissertation. I had taken my comprehensive exams and I was exhausted. I didn't want to read this stuffy, boring stuff anymore. I didn't like Greek or Hebrew. I just wanted to sit on the couch. I wanted to quit. And then many of us, I think, really have wanted to give up on the faith, to quit our faith. Maybe we're tired. We have doubts. Maybe you've experienced great suffering in your life or the loss of a loved one. Or perhaps you've just turned on the news and what I can't take it anymore. In fact, after all the turmoil, the division, the politics, and the stress over the last two years, don't some of you feel exhausted and just want to throw in the towel? Yes. 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 <laughs> Thank you, choir. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have, right? And all across Christianity, we see Christians losing their faith, pastors stepping down, priests giving up the work because it's too hard, it's exhausting. And the author of the book of Hebrews knew that his congregation was exhausted and they needed a pep talk. They needed inspiration and don't we all. As a silly example for this, there was a time in my life where I wanted to be a Marine. Why are you laughing? <coughs> that wasn't a joke. <coughs> no, but wouldn't you all feel safer with me on the front lines? <laughs> Again, not a joke. <coughs> No, and so I did one whole semester of ROTC with the Navy when I was in college. And one of the things we had to do was go running. And a, you can tell my deep love of running, right? And so we had to run a mile and a half as the whole battalion. And of course, after like 15 steps, I want to give up and quit. I'm exhausted. And I'm coming around to probably that last quarter mile. And a very marinish looking guy is standing there saying, keep going, keep going, keep going. You see that midshipman? Pass him. Keep going. And I passed him. I can't believe I passed him, but I passed him. It was inspiring. It was the motivation. 
When it came to my dissertation, I needed my director beside me to smack me around and to say, you know, poorly written sentences are better than no written sentences, right? Do something, keep it up, keep going, keep going, keep going. This list of faithful men and women here in Hebrews 11 is a pep talk. It's designed to inspire us to keep going, to press on, to keep going, keep going, keep going. It reminds us we're not alone in this race. There's a whole list of men and women from the Old Testament who face those great trials, perhaps some worse than we face, and they prevailed by faith. Keep going, it's possible. And of course, we could add to this list, right? We could keep adding the list. We could have St. Paul, St. Augustine, um, St. Mother Teresa, and everybody else. We could keep folks from our own church and our own mission partners. Dr. Sylvia, Steve Park at Little Lights, Basoke in the Congo. We could talk about Elizabeth Stuckel, who heads up our visiting ministry team, who did so much during the pandemic to make sure shut-ins, people who were sick, felt loved and accepted, even though we couldn't actually go visit anymore. We could talk about Father Ed, who gave up a successful and profitable law career to be a priest in God's church. And I think if you know Ed, we can all say, thanks be to God, he did that. We could talk about other faithful men and women from around this parish. We've got the Rangers here today, our missionaries to Uganda, who've persevered during the pandemic and sharing the gospel where they are. They face great challenges, all these men and women, but they've stayed faithful and prevailed. It's possible. Keep going, keep going, keep going. If they can do it, if all these men and women can run the race, then perhaps we can too. In fact, we've got something more than these Old Testament saints have. We have Jesus. Don't give up. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Keep running with endurance this race of faith. Keep worshiping faithfully on Sundays. Keep showing hospitality to friends, neighbors, and strangers. Keep giving generously to those who are in need. Keep healing broken relationships because we see those all over the place. And keep loving others like Jesus has loved us. Keep going, keep going, even when it's hard. And our text tells us two quick ways how to do this. And I'll just read the passage itself for you. It says, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely and run the race with endurance that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The two things there. First, remove what hinders you. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. From what I understand, runners in antiquity remove every, would remove everything that would hinder them when they would run. And that would mean rings, necklaces, headwear, and clothes. I'm glad we've moved on from nude racing. <laughs> but they didn't want to have anything that would hold them back, right? And we don't do that now, of course, but we do similar things. My wife, Kimberly, she used to swim competitively. And she tells me that competitive swimmers have to be as sleek as possible. So they wear caps over their head. They shave all their body hair and they wear very sleek suits so they can zip through the water. They don't want anything to hold them back at all. And neither should we in the race we're called to run. So Hebrews says to remove all the distractions and hindrances that slow us down. 
to look inside ourselves and ask what gets in the way of our walk with God. It's easy to point to other people and say, ah, I know what's his problem. I know what her problem is. And those Presbyterians, mm -mm -mm. <laughs> But it's calling us to look at us, what's hindering me? It could be entertainment or our reputation, politics, the news, our work, money, how we spend our time, our relationships, peer pressure, whatever it happens to be. But we're called to ask God to help us identify it and then to deal with it, especially if it's sin. Because as the Book of Common Prayer teaches us, sin distorts our relationship with God, our relationship with other people, and with the entirety of creation. So whether we struggle with lust or greed or pride, gossip, bitterness, selfishness, worry, lying, or whatever it is, sin will mess up our stride, hold us back, and steer us off course so that we don't finish the race. Jill Duffield, a Presbyterian pastor, course, right after I make fun of the Presbyterians, reminds us that we must examine everything in our lives, our budgets, social media, the relationships we have, and the relationships we lack, and everything else, and question whether or not we are looking to Christ and looking like Christ. And if not, we need to change things or get rid of things. That's not easy, but it's necessary to run the course. So that's first remove what hinders us. Second is remain focused on Jesus, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus, of course, is another example. In fact, the best example of living by faith. He put up with those knuckle-headed disciples day in, day out, so that he could train them to become faithful servants of God, which eventually they do. He healed an obnoxious blind man who kept screaming from the side of the street, so everyone else passed him by. He experienced hostility and rejection from his own people when he welcomed a sinful woman who'd been ostracized by the whole community. And of course, we know that Jesus wanted to quit too because he prayed, Father, take this cup from me. And yet he willingly endured the cross for our redemption. Jesus has already run the race and through his life and example, he shows us how it's to be done. He's a great example, but he's more than that. He's the founder, the perfecter of our faith. He's the object of our faith. We put our faith in Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that the Old Testament saints were pursuing. He is the one we are called to serve and love with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He is the one who went before us to live perfectly a faithful life to the glory of God. He is the one who loved us enough to suffer, die, and rise again to give us the gift of eternal life. And he is the one who leads us into the joys of his heavenly kingdom where we will dwell with him forever. He's not just an example. He's not just the pace setter of the race. He is the goal itself. Heaven is going to be wonderful and glorious because we get Jesus. That's the prize. Now, it may come to surprise you, I did not keep up my running career after ROTC, <laughs> despite the physique you see before you. So I don't know much about running, I don't know much about racing, but I do know one thing, that you need to keep your eyes on the goal or you're gonna veer off course. 
1954, we had the Miracle Mile between John Landy and Roger Bannister. Some of you may have heard this example before. They were the two fastest men in the world, the first two men to ever break the four-minute mile. So they were given a race side by side, one mile to see who really was the fastest. And with only 90 yards to go, Landy had been ahead the entire time. And as he nears that victory, he looks beside him to see where Bannister is, and Bannister passes him on the other side. He got out of stride, he stepped off course and was passed because he didn't keep his eyes focused on the goal. Perhaps more to the point, you remember the story of Jesus walking on the water and he approaches the boat and St. Peter, the chief knucklehead of knuckleheads, says, Lord, let me get out and walk with you. Jesus says, come on. Peter gets out of the boat and he's walking on the water with Jesus. And then a wave comes up and Peter stops looking at Jesus and he looks at the wave and what happens? He sinks. He took his eyes off the goal. He took his eyes off Jesus and he sank. And when we take our eyes off Jesus and we focus on ourselves, we focus on our situations, our problems, and what's right in front of us, we're going to sink like Peter every single time. Another Presbyterian pastor, David Gray, says, faith allows people to see beyond what's right in front of them, their daily problems and to see what God's doing in their midst, to see what he's done throughout the ages, and to see the joy that God has in store for them in the future. That's what faith does for us. So live by faith, walk by faith, run the race. The race is hard. The Christian life is difficult, it's exhausting at times, and we've already admitted that we wanna call it quits and just give up from time to time but we're not alone. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, including the Lord Jesus himself, who inspires us to keep going, keep going, keep going. And let's never forget that the results of the race are already assured. There is no gambling in this race. We will win. Victory is assured. We can't lose because Jesus can't lose. So have faith, keep going. Don't give up. Focus on Jesus and receive your prize. Amen.